0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to the playoffs. We've got play-in matchups coming at you this week. One game or two games, Winner go home. Cavs, Nets, Hawks, Hornets, Clippers, Timberwolves, Spurs, Pelicans, all fighting for their lives this week. Use the link in the description to this episode to sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus using the promo code Bleave B-L-E-A-V, when you make your deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts.
1: Good!
0: On the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is April 11th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However and whenever you may be listening, I am so freaking excited for today's episode. We have Rob Parker from Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports Radio joining us on the show today with my man Juju talk Sports. Juju and I also talk about Zion Williamson here on the podcast today. He's playing in one of those play-in games, or I guess his team is playing in one of those play-in games. He's not playing in that play-in game, but we'll talk about that. We got our Garoppolo update, and I'm going to talk about the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's all really, really great. There's so much to throw at you, and I got to start off by talking about the NBA real quick before we get to all of the stuff on this podcast, and we're going to talk way more about the NBA all throughout this week. It's just kind of a teaser right now because the NBA is coming down the NBA play-in and the NBA playoffs are going to be hot topic because all of the NBA regular season is irrelevant for me. And I learned this a couple of years ago when I was learning how to do this podcast thing and I remember I tuned into the Kristaps Porzingis return to New York game and I got really invested in the storylines and I realized that none of the stakes matter. On These games it all comes down to usually the last weekend. We feel pretty secure about who's going to get what seeds we just need to know who's going to play where and by the way the seeding doesn't really matter in terms of who is the best team and who is not the best team because the NBA as much as any other sport is not representative of the full season sample size because some teams have weird injuries here and there and all of that stuff sometimes reflects but like for example we know the Brooklyn Nets who are going to host the play-in game against the Cavs. We know they're a really, really good basketball team. We know they're going to throttle the Cavs, and if they somehow lose to the Cavs, they're going to destroy the Hawks or the Hornets, probably the Hawks, but they're going to destroy either the Hawks or the Hornets, to get into the playoffs. It's all about the matchups that we get to see, and now we know what the matchups are. So for all the shit I talked about the NBA regular season not mattering as much and, like, the stakes not being important as long as you get in the playoffs, which, by the way, the Lakers couldn't even get in the playoffs, but part of that was because they didn't want to at the end. They kind of just started, like, calling it in. They just really didn't want to keep playing, kind of just to put-me-out-of-my-misery situation. But anyways, Milwaukee, they ended up tanking the last game of the season to get preferred seeding. Is Milwaukee the best team in the Eastern Conference? Yes, they are. And that has nothing to do with whether or not they're the 2- or the 3-seed. Because you know what lineup the Milwaukee Bucks put out against the Cavs on Sunday? A starting lineup of Liddell, Wigington, Javon Carter... Thanasis Antetokounmpo, Jordan Nuora, and I'm going to try and pronounce this name. Sandro Shvili M-A-M-U-K-E-L-A-S-H-V-I-L-I. Mamukelashvili. Yeah, that was their starting lineup. Again, Liddell Wigginton, Javon Carter, Thanasis Antetokounmpo, Jordan Nuora, and Sandro. And... They lost that game, but you know what they get for losing that game? They get the number three seed and a matchup against the Chicago Bulls, which they will win in five games, but it's a first round matchup to get them to the second round matchup that will probably be the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets versus the Boston Celtics. How did the Boston Celtics get the two seed? Well, the difference between the two and the four seed for Boston was Milwaukee tanked the last game of the season to rest. And Memphis rested everyone the last game of the season. So Boston gets the two seed. And they will be rewarded most likely by playing the Brooklyn Nets. And the Heat get to be the one seed. But they'll play the 4-5 matchup against Philly. And free. Ah, let's just fuck Miami and Philly in the second round. So freaking awesome. And you know who the five seed in the East is now? Toronto and Philadelphia should beat the crap out of Toronto. All of this to say, I am really, really happy with how the seedings broke out at the very end of the season. And it was nerve-wracking. It looked like the Nets were going to be the 9 or it looked like, you know, they would have to win two games to avoid losing and they might play the Bucks in the first round. The seedings worked out and I can exhale that they turned out exactly the way We all hoped it would be in the East. And what is that? We don't have a super matchup in the first round. There are going to be four teams that I think can win the Eastern Conference. uh, Milwaukee is Tier 1. Miami, Philadelphia, Brooklyn. The fifth one is Boston. And if you want to argue Miami versus Boston with me, very much open to listening. And if you want to argue Philadelphia versus any of those teams, open to listening. Boston's issue is they're going to have to go through three of those teams, including the Bucks, to get to the finals, and it's just not going to work for Boston. Boston, as great as their story was at the end here and beating teams by twenty-two and having one of the best offensive or best defensive teams in the NBA, Boston ain't going to be able to beat three of those four teams to get to the finals. And they're, I mean, maybe they get to play Cleveland in the first round, and that bails them out a little bit because Miami's going to have to play. Um, Brooklyn. But Brooklyn, I assume, is going to beat the Cavaliers in the play-in game. And then Cleveland's going to have to play a one-game winner-go-home to make the playoffs. Which, by the way, no disrespect to Cleveland. Hugely ahead of schedule. This will take four minutes to play, but I'm going to do it anyways. Remember when we were using this audio to talk about the Cavaliers early in the season because they were terrible or because they were slowly on the come-up? Are you tired or bored of your current NBA team? Have you recently lost a superstar and are now spending years stuck in a rebuild? Are you a Lakers fan who hopped on the bandwagon after the Russell Westbrook trade but are now tired of defending Anthony Davis on Twitter? If you or someone you know is experiencing perpetual mediocrity, then we have a new solution for you. Introducing the new Cleveland Cavaliers. We know it's now been four years since LeBron left and the Cavaliers have had a really poor reputation, but with the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, and while currently sitting five games over 500, the Cleveland Cavaliers are a perfect option for any new and adopting bandwagoners. Yes, for 20 years, the Cavaliers' strategy was to have the greatest players in the history of basketball be born in the general area of your city, But the Cleveland Cavaliers have pivoted in the last four years. We traded Kyrie Irving, who we got with the number one pick in the draft, and basically only got Colin Sexton in return. We then refused to sign Colin Sexton to his rookie extension, only for Sexton to then tear his meniscus in week one. The Cleveland Cavaliers signed Kevin Love to that four-year, $120 million extension, and we still have refused to trade Kevin Love because we are loyal. We know we've drafted in the top five six times in the last 10 seasons, but we've also had more success than 26 other NBA franchises in the last decade. When you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers, some of the perks involved are three fun young rookie stars, the possibility of acquiring Ben Simmons, and no expectations for the 2021-2022 season. That's right, you get all the fun of a team that's allowed to talk shit on Twitter, and none of the expectations of actually winning a playoff series. Remember when we had John Beeline, and he was basically Urban Meyer before Urban Meyer? Neither do we, and we've moved on from this through a pandemic and multiple draft picks to create a new, young core of Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. For all of you who are big fans of NBA Twitter, we also have wonderful attractions such as Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman, and the legend, Taco Fall. That's right, Taco Fall plays for the Cavaliers. Bet you didn't know that. Lakers fans, how excited were you when you guys got Russell Westbrook? Well, if you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers in seven months, you'll get that joy again when we inevitably trade Kevin Love and Colin Sexton to acquire Russell Westbrook in a move of pure desperation. But that's not all, folks. If you sign up in the next 48 hours, you will receive a new Cleveland Cavaliers swag bag, which includes a J.R. Smith tattoo t-shirt, LeBron James's old practice shorts from 2016's championship season, a copy of the Dan Gilbert letter that he sent out after LeBron James decided to join the Miami Heat, two complimentary tickets to a Detroit Pistons-Cleveland Cavaliers game worth $6, and Lowry Markinen. So sign up today for the new and improved Cleveland Cavaliers. All signups for New Cleveland Cavaliers are binding through the 2022-2023 season. All signups must be confirmed before the inevitable New York Knicks play-in game in April. Side effects of New Cleveland Cavaliers include fever, chills, cold sweats, Ben Simmons trade rumors, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or actions, diarrhea, constipation, a longing for LeBron James, and the inexplicable urge to acquire Harrison Barnes at the trade deadline. If you or someone you know experiences any of these symptoms, your doctor may prescribe Orlando Magic as an alternative for New Cleveland Cavaliers. Congratulations, Cleveland. You overperformed to expectations. Getting a play-in series is a nice, nice victory for you guys. I know you're ahead of schedule. I know you were talking at the All-Star break like you didn't need LeBron James. It's a great, great start to your season. But you're going to probably lose to Brooklyn because Brooklyn has Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And Brooklyn's going to play Boston, where that series is going seven. Boston might be able to beat Brooklyn. They ain't going to be able to beat Brooklyn my, Milwaukee and Miami or Philadelphia. They ain't going to be able to beat bo- all of them. So good job, Boston. Not to disrespect Boston at all. Boston gets to be the two-seed for that reason. And so congratulations to the NBA for getting it right. That the Bucks don't have to play the Nets in the first round that Miami, or I'm sorry, Philadelphia doesn't have to play Brooklyn in the first round, although maybe that one would have been more fun. Um, It's just good that the seeding broke in such a way that you have five really good teams and the Celtics are like the fifth team. Like Miami, the way that I'm happy is that in the first round, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, and Philadelphia won't have to play each other. And the reason that's the case is because I think that's going to make for way more representative samples of how the season is going to go down is getting Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, and Brooklyn apart from each other until they all match up in the next round. And that's just going to make it way more fun for all of us if the best teams are going to make it deep in the playoffs and like last year where the Hawks pulled the one in 778 upset against the 76ers. That way we didn't get a Hawks conference final where we all knew they didn't belong there. At least we're going to get the best five teams left standing in the Eastern Conference. So I'm glad the the standings broke that way. In the West, everything was already pretty much decided. Like, we knew the play-in matchups before we even got to today. The Jazz are going to play the Mavericks, which by the way, whoo, that's a fun series. Nuggets Warriors. Nuggets are going to lose, but who doesn't want to watch Jokic and Steph? The Timberwolves might get the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies are going to get to make it out of the first round without much of a hiccup. It is going to be fun, 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 fun once we get these playoff matchups in focus. We're going to focus on them all more over the next week or so because I'm super, super duper excited for the NBA playoffs. I wonder if you can tell it in my voice. Now, let's talk about Zion Williamson, because Zion Williamson's not going to be around for a little bit, and let's talk to Rob Parker of Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports Radio, like, which we did with the Slump Buster podcast last week, which you can check out wherever you get podcasts.
2: The host of The Odd Couple, he writes for Spin. he's a baseball Hall of Fame voter, one of the hardest working sports analysts out there. We are joined today by the one, the only, Rob Parker. Rob, how are you doing today? You ready for baseball?
3: Absolutely. Are you crazy? This is like Christmas for me. I'm excited. Uh, The start of opening day, I know it's delayed a week, but we could accept that as long as we get all 162 games in. So I'm cool. I I never believed we weren't going to have a season. I figured they'd get it figured out and they did. And, uh, you know, like People are very spoiled. Oh, you know, when when it was going on the lockout, but we had twenty-eight years of labor peace. We hadn't had any kind of interruption of baseball since the nineteen ninety-four canceling of the World Series. So it had been a long time and for a lot of people in the in the last uh, generation 25 years it felt weird that there was this angst but I'm an older guy I've been covering baseball Major League Baseball since 1986 and been a fan forever and in the old days it used to be every 3 or 4 years there was a work stoppage or or a strike or you know what I mean like because yeah. the union is strong Unlike you didn't have these things in the NFL or the NBA because the players unions aren't nearly as strong as baseball. So I'm happy. Can't wait for opening day.
2: Oh, you said it best. 162 games. We still get it. Uh, the last time we had that big strike, like I was born in the year that the Expos were supposed to be the World Series champions. So right. Like in
3: 1994. Absolutely.
2: Exactly. exactly. Uh, so, you know, new CBA, this means so new labor agreement. Uh, what did you think of the deal that the players struck? Do you think it was a good deal for both sides?
3: I mean, both sides <clears throat> gave in some. I know players got to be happy with the minimums and some of the other money that's pulled in for guys who don't have to wait, you know, all the way to get paid. I think those are good things. The owners got what they wanted, expanded playoffs. Remember, players don't get paid during the playoffs. That's an owner's uh, paradise and Windfall, So that's why you even see it in the NFL why they added playoff teams. That's what they want, playoff money, which players get a pool of, you know, depending on how far you get in the playoffs, but you don't get paid during the postseason. So I understand it. I'm not that keen on. I don't want the uh, Major League Baseball to turn into the other sports where more than half the league makes the playoffs. I kind of hate that. We're up to 12 teams. I don't want 16 the NHL and NBA <laughs> You know, the NBA has 20 teams competing in the postseason out of 30. Uh- what do we do? We'll play 82 games to eliminate
0: 10 teams? So one of the things that's been interesting about the expanded playoffs is the increase in anti-tanking sentiments that have gone on around Major League Baseball. Obviously, the story since the CBA was passed is the Reds have torn their team to the ground. The A's have torn their team to the ground. Cleveland was in the process of tearing their team down before signing Jose Ramirez to an extension, but I saw before that they had zero dollars guaranteed after this season prior to signing Jose Ramirez. So you're not the biggest fan of tanking. The MLB instituted a lottery at the new CBA. They've tried to figure out ways to trade comp picks. How do you feel about the state of tanking in major league
1: baseball?
3: Yeah. I mean, we saw, I think the Astros do it right. And that was really, the Astros were able to benefit from it and they were able to put together young players and then build a team. You remember a couple of years ago, I think that they weren't even getting people watching Astros games on TV. The ratings were so low. Uh, And then then they built up a powerhouse. So teams looked at that and were like, that's where we want to go. I don't like it. I think it's not fair to the fan base. Everybody can't win. I get that. And everybody can't beat the Dodgers or the Mets, the two highest payrolls. I get that, and I understand the players' concern. The only thing I, I wonder is, if you're asking people to have a floor, then then shouldn't there be a ceiling? I'm not I'm not for salary caps, but if you're asking that there's a minimum being spent, then then what about a maximum? Uh, players want there not to be a maximum, but there to be a floor. So I think that's where there's a, a, a an issue. I don't think that if teams get money from the other teams for competitive balance, that that money should be put anywhere other than back into the franchise. If you get a $100 million, that's got to be spent on payroll and players, not profits in your pocket. I think that's the problem I have with the money going to teams where, you know, the the... Baltimore Orioles payroll is $30 million and they're getting a hundred million dollars in competitive balance money. They they're making $70 million profit before they sell a ticket or parking spot or their TV money. I think that's wrong.
2: Rob, you're obviously a Hall of Fame voter. And this year, the Hall of Fame kind of like made some big waves in the offseason because for the 10th consecutive year, Clemens, Bonds, not in. I know you've been uh, consistent on voting for those guys the last couple of years. This one struck me a little bit differently, too, because David Ortiz was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And to me, that just comes off as hypocritical. And these are the guys of mine and Kyle's generation. We grew up watching these guys play. So they kind of like brought us into our love of baseball. So what was your thought process when that whole thing went down?
3: Well, I was on MLB Network as an analyst that night. It was a big night, and I thought we got it wrong. The, the BBWAA, which I've been a member of since 1990, and it's a great organization, and the writers normally get it right, and they do. I mean, they they take it very seriously. I think I thought we swung and missed to not put Bonds and Clemens. And your point about Big Poppy, I think he's actually one of the poster child to me if you're going to look at a guy whose career wasn't that great when he was in Minnesota and then all of a sudden became this unbelievable hitter the one thing you can't say about Bonds and Clemens is that they were good from day one, pre steroid use. And, and so I have an issue. Clemens won three Cy Youngs with the Red Sox. Go look at the videotape. He's this skinny. Bonds won three MVPs in Pittsburgh way before he ever went. Now, and then we have these other guys who we've put in the Hall of Fame, and you're keeping out two of the greatest players. Pudge Rodriguez was in the Conseco book, I was in Detroit the year after Pudge came back and lost 40 pounds in the off season. You know, I, I was there for that. Uh, Mike Piazza, there was always rumors and stuff swirling about him and, and juice use. Uh, Bagwell and Houston. I mean, like these guys are all in. And even Big Poppy's name was on that list, even though the commissioner tried to pardon him and say it was a mistake, whatever it was. It's either none of the guys get in or we put some of these guys in. And I'm sorry, when you talk about bonds, Clemens, Sosa, and even Sheffield. I voted for all four of those guys. All four of those guys. Go look at their stats. Sosa was a 30-30 guy at age 24, way before juice. Uh Sheffield for, was a was a star from day 1 when he broke in with the Milwaukee Brewers. Go look. I think it's unfair and I think we're picking on a couple of guys when this was a widespread problem in baseball, especially because they weren't testing
0: for. Rob, I wanted to ask you about the Trevor Bauer situation because over the offseason, criminal charges were not brought against him in Los Angeles County and Major League Baseball is still investigating for him in regards to the personal conduct policy. And they're in a place now where He's still on administrative leave and Bauer has been increasingly vocal now that criminal charges aren't being brought against him. Uh, And yet Major League Baseball is still waiting to decide on completing their investigation and deciding a suspension. How do you feel about how they've handled this situation over the past nine months?
3: I I get it. It's a touchy situation and people have to understand you don't have to have a criminal conviction in order for a league to sanction uh, a suspension against you. I mean, it's happened before. When you sign these contracts, you sign code of conduct clauses and moral clauses, and it's not about the court of law. If you do something to damage the image or the shield, as they say in the NFL, whatever, they can suspend you. And baseball has that right. There have been players with domestic violence where the wives have refused to testify, but they still got suspended by Major League Baseball despite there not being a trial or, you know, a a judgment Either way, guilty or innocent. The only thing I'll say is I think Major League Baseball has taken way too long. I think with the time that's spent, they should have said to Trevor Bauer, either you can play or you can't by now. Like for it to be past spring training and opening day seems unfair to me despite how horrific the charges were, the pictures I saw. I mean, I get it. I don't believe personally he'll ever play for the Dodgers again. And there'll be a number of teams that won't. Because I remember the actions of the Dodgers when this came out and the pictures, all of his teammates stopped following him him on social media. The team had a bobblehead night scheduled for him. They uh, canceled that. They just, they, they stopped selling his Jersey. I mean, and this is all before there was any kind of guilt or innocence. And I think there are people inside that clubhouse an organization that still, regardless of how talented he is, would rather not have a guy who has these things in his past, uh, a part of the franchise. So even though the Dodgers could seriously use him at the top of their rotation I don't think he'll play for the Dodgers. I do believe there'll be some team he'll play for, but I, I would be shocked if he's back with the Dodgers.
2: Rob, changing gears there a little bit. I was reading your recent article on Deadspin or recent baseball article on Deadspin regarding the death of pitchers batting, so the rise of the DH. And I, too, will miss Bartolo Cologne making some swings in the batter's box. But you're the first person since Kevin Costner and Bull Durham to be anti-DH. So I want to kind of like explain your philosophies. You called it a bad idea dating back to the seventies.
3: Yeah. Baseball wasn't invented that way. I love the strategy of, do I keep the pitcher in, you know, it's the sixth inning. We're down by a run. We got a man on second base. This might be our only chance. Should I pinch it for him? Do you know what I mean? Like the strategy of it now you could just make out the American league to me, always reminded me of a softball beer league. You just make out the lineup, and just throw people out there. And there's no, just let everybody get their wax. So I'm not a big DH guy. I love National League Baseball better. I always have. I'm going to miss it. I don't think managing will be nearly as prevalent as it was, strategy and all that. So I'm not a, I'm not a DH guy. I just, it just doesn't do anything for me. And now we'll see. You know, at one time, it was supposed to be put in to keep older players in the game who can't play the field nearly as well. You're going to see a lot younger Guys, DHing uh, Freddie Freeman, right? Um, I don't know if he's going to DH with the Dodgers, but there's a spot now for guys to DH and and whatnot. I, I'm I'm a traditionalist. I'm not the old guy, you know, you know, waving at the clouds or whatever. But I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it. I I didn't like it in 1973, and I don't like it in 2022. <laughs>
2: Still holding out hope that the Giants signed Barry to a one-year DH contract with that now in the National
3: League. Oh, that would um, be great, wouldn't it? That would be yeah, great. Yeah,
2: restart the clock. Restart it. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, of course, if you want to follow Rob for all his excellent baseball content, football content, basketball content, jack of all trades, at Rob Parker FSR, at Rob Parker FS1 on Instagram and Twitter, respectively, for news, rumors, locations of quiet places where rats may or may not be urinating. Rob Parker, you right. you covered.
3: <laughs> and, and please, uh, if you haven't, subscribed to the uh, podcast, Inside the Parker. You could just Google it, find it, uh, and, and subscribe. It's a fun podcast. You guys have heard it. 22 minutes, tops, moves real fast. And this week, dropping tomorrow, Hall of Fame legendary sportscaster Bob Costas, who you know loves baseball as much as we do. And uh, Cameron Mabin, the former outfielder who's now – a television broadcaster on the Yes Network for the Yankees. He took over Ken Singleton's old job, who retired. Great podcast to start kick off the baseball season. So please uh, try to uh, download it and uh, subscribe.
2: All right, Kyle. It's not often that we see a number one pick. Go so far under the radar just three years removed from being drafted we finally have some Zion news in the 2022 NBA season and that's because an impromptu podcast appearance by his stepdad so on the Jordy Colada show Zion's stepdad basically said there's a chance he can play this year. And Zion, he has played a total of 85 games over the three-year period that he's been in New Orleans. Obviously, there's been a lot of speculation. How long is he going to stay in the organization? Um, Does he want to be there? His weight gain... Can he stay healthy? There's a lot of storylines outside of basketball that affect Zion Williamson on a daily basis. As much as I would love to see him, because I feel Zion is the type that can roll out of bed and put up 27 and 7 for you. I'm wondering if he should come back this year. Even in the Pelicans' hot streak, they're now firmly locked into the play-in tournament. The Lakers were eliminated last night. Would it be a good decision to see him back this year if he's healthy, assuming doctors have cleared him? Should he just come back just to say, I am here, I am Zion Williamson?
0: No, he shouldn't do it just to show up and be there. Like, the Pelicans are probably going to lose in the play-in. It's not a guarantee, but the Pelicans are probably going to lose the play-in considering that goddamn Clippers are going to get a seven-game series, and I don't understand it. But the Spurs were basically trying to tank, and then the Lakers were like, hold our beer, and now it's like the Pelicans and Spurs are in the play-in game. And I assume those two teams will end up being the ones who get eliminated. I could be wrong, but I assume that Minnesota is going to be the 7th, and then the Clippers might be the eight. Maybe maybe the Pelicans can win two games there, but that's it. Seems like the more likely scenario there. So no. I don't think it's worth it for Zion to come back at all, especially because he's been out the entire season. I don't know what to do with Zion at this point because Zion Williamson, I said when he was going to get drafted that this is like the last hope for New Orleans as an NBA basketball franchise. There's already been talks about them being the next relocation team in the NBA. There's not really a lot of fervor for basketball in New Orleans. And I just think that the last three years have been... as as close to obvious as you can see that it's not going to work. And maybe Zion signs the super max this summer. Cause again, like guaranteeing, $250 million is obviously a huge deal. It's no chump change. You'd have to turn down all of it to take a one-year qualifying offer, which has never been done before. You'd have to take a one-year qualifying offer with the Pelicans and essentially demand a trade this summer. And that would be unprecedented and also something that I understand at this point. If he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans, he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans. But we just don't know. We just haven't heard from Zion Williamson in like a year and a half. And so we have to listen to his stepdad talk about stuff to even get a clue about what is happening with him.
2: And yeah, that's obviously part of the problem. We haven't heard from him. He hasn't talked to the New Orleans media since November which is his right because as an injured player, he has no obligation to talk to the media. It is one of those loophole exceptions that when you're hurt, you don't have to talk to anyone. When we talk about Zion's camp, saying that he doesn't want to play in New Orleans, this is a very interesting comment from someone you would consider in his camp, right? Lee Anderson is as much a part of Zion's camp as anyone, as much as Zion's mother, as much as Zion's brother. Lee Anderson is connected to what Zion thinks. Now, it's interesting to see a parent of a player have somewhat of a regular appearance on Jordy Colada's podcast you know to spill the beans on this information that he wants to play now there are some things that stood out if you listen to the full interview like he spoke very glowingly of the new New Orleans head coach I think seeing New Orleans start to have an uptick in production start to win more games has started to speak to that inner competitor that is Zion Williamson because I, I remember and this is one thing that I respected about Zion when he was coming out of Duke. People said when he first busted his shoe, don't play Zion, you're going to cost yourself so much money. Chill the rest of the season. Duke doesn't need you. The NCAA is not paying you. Duke's not paying you. But Zion said, "Through that. I want to be with my teammates. I want to play basketball. And he went out there, and yes, Duke lost in the NCAA tournament anyway, but you love to see a guy that's willing to put down the line for a sport that he loves. And I thought that Zion just loved basketball. And that's why I gravitated towards him. And now with the injuries and seeing where he is at this point in his career, the weight gain, the quietness from him, it started making make me question, does he still have that love for basketball? Is it just the Pelicans organization? Is it New Orleans? What is it, Zion? What is it that's not quite clicking here? it might not be nothing it might just be as simple as I'm hurt I can't play and we're just making a whole lot of noise about this it's probably more noise than news when you're talking about a guy that has as big of a brand as he does at this young of an age of course everything he does is news he's supposed to be the next LeBron James and we haven't seen him the majority of his career again 85 games apparently if you compare the stats to Greg Oden he's played almost as much as Greg Oden has played in that amount of time
0: oh I'm gonna (laughs) push back here I'm going to push back here. And yes, you are correct about the raw numbers. Zion Williamson started in the all-star game at 20 oh, yeah, years old, yeah, and it yes. wasn't a fan vote. It was not a fan vote either. He just straight no, started in no, the all-star I, game. I, I'm
2: not questioning his play. No, I'm just questioning he hasn't played throughout his career. I mean, again, I mentioned at the start, he's a guy that can roll out of bed and give you 27 points in production. He's that good. And I miss seeing him play. I really want to see him come back selfishly. I, I, again, I know there's reasons he shouldn't, especially if he's not fully healthy. But if he is healthy, if doctors say you can play, then why not? Who knows? Maybe you do win a one game plan. And suddenly that's good for the Zion brand. He came out, played in the play-in game and got his team to a seven game series. And will they probably lose that series regardless of who they play? Yes. But for him to have those big playoff moments, for him to show that he does care, I, I think would be huge for anyone who's starting to doubt him. Just get those critics off his back a little bit. To be a generational talent also takes a little bit of universal love. I know we have mixed results on LeBron now, but when LeBron was first coming up, I think pretty much everyone was in universal agreement that they loved him in Cleveland first few years in Cleveland everyone loved LeBron James and we don't have that same kind of a love for Zion or at least not all of us Jaw has also stolen a lot of his thunder because you look at what ja has done with the Memphis Grizzlies also a small market team and I think he's getting compared a little bit to the guy that was drafted after him what I'll say too as far as New Orleans not being a viable basketball market while well, I'm disappointed I think it could be I don't think that New Orleans is even a viable football market for a majority of years until Drew Brees and the saints started winning some games. It takes wins. If you start winning games, suddenly you become a basketball market, suddenly become a baseball market. Suddenly you become a football market. You just got to win games. That's what people want to see. And just let's face it. New Orleans basketball just hasn't done that a whole lot.
0: Yeah. I, I think even when the say, I mean, again, I wasn't alive for it. This is more secondhand referencing, but when LSU was terrible, And when the Saints were terrible, people still cared. I think the difference is nobody cares when New Orleans is terrible.
2: Because you did mention you were fairly young when this happened. Hurricane Katrina hit and there was that opportunity. There was an open window for the Saints to leave New Orleans. So that tells you how bad Saints football used to be that that thought even happened. They were almost the San Antonio Saints. Same way we're talking about the Pelicans now. It just needs one generational player to turn things around. And I think whenever I saw Zion and get drafted by the Pelicans, I was kind of hoping he would have done that because I don't think there's any reason that New Orleans can't be a basketball market. It's a good market. I mean, people like New Orleans. People like the vacation in New Orleans, right? When I think about destination cities across the US, New Orleans is certainly a city that's on my bucket list. So why can't it be a city in which people travel to watch a basketball game?
0: Here's the thing about generational stars. They've had three now. They've had three post-Hurricane Katrina. And I know you're going to push back on Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was the greatest prospect to enter the NBA draft since Kevin Durant, which by the way, Zion was the greatest prospect to enter the NBA draft, according to some since Anthony Davis. They've all gone through the shit cycle of New Orleans. Again, if Zion is going to commit to New Orleans and he's healthy, then play. I just don't know where Zion Williamson is at at this point in terms of what he wants From the organization, because I just haven't heard any reporting done other than the rumblings of he's living in Portland for a few months and he doesn't like David Griffin. Like that's the only thing I've heard about
2: it. That's the thing that I'm kind of curious because you mentioned the shitstorm of New Orleans. I feel like New Orleans has done everything right over the last couple years to try and make this a winning environment. Obviously, the big deal with the Lakers where they got a lot of pieces back that they were able to build with, hiring coaches that they thought could have advanced them. Now they're on Willie Green and he seems to. Be a coach that uh, seems to be meshing well with players. Again, Zion's stepdad called him a players coach. You draft Zion, you sign guys like J.J. Riddick, veterans that you think can help build a good culture. You trade for a guy like C.J. McCollum. I feel like the Pelicans have done a lot of things right that winning cultures and basketball do. They just need that one guy to push them over the top. And they're hoping that guy is Zion. Is him going to the Knicks really going to be the difference maker in his career? I mean, we've seen so many times that a player goes to New York and gets ate up and spat out. And that's the only place people want him to go. That's why I kind of feel like some of the arguments are a little disingenuous. It's just like people trying to get him to, quote unquote, a big market. market like New York, but the Knicks. Suck the Knicks suck just as much as the Pelicans, guys.
0: I think the, the part about that is just that the only connection people can make is RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish play with the Knicks. And remember during the draft, the greatest draft lottery of all time, where they're like, the Knicks are gonna get Zion and KD and Kyrie Irving and turn it around. Like that's the only connection people are making is people put on to Zion that he wanted to be with the Knicks in the first place. People assume that it's like because the Knicks have the top pick in the draft, he only always wanted to be a Nick in the first place. And I don't think that's the truth, which is why I would say we're going to find out this offseason because Zion is eligible for the Supermax extension. If he signs it, then he's a Pelican for six years. If he doesn't sign it, we know that there's truth to rumors or truth to some of the speculation here. You mentioned the Pelicans have tried. The Pelicans have tried their best to build around him and they have failed miserably. They have failed miserably miserably because how
2: much is that of that is zion
0: it oh it's but david griffin might get fired at the end of this season if they hadn't turned it around at the very end cj mccollum was his last ditch effort to try and save it so remember all those players and picks they got for anthony davis yeah they
2: has gone josh hart is gone Yes, Brandon Ingram's a fine player,
0: but let's talk about the picks also. So they got the four pick from the Lakers in that draft. They traded down from pick four so the Hawks could get DeAndre Hunter, who I'll admit fine player, 20 point a game scorer at his best. They traded down and they got Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander Walker, which is not great. The next year, first round pick, they drafted Kyra Lewis Jr. Not great with their first round pick. So the Pelicans last year traded down so that Memphis could get Zach. Year Williams. I don't know who they got after that. It hasn't really done much there. And then they just kind of, they traded for Steven Adams. They traded a first round pick to OKC for Steven Adams. That ended up flopping. They then had to flip another first round pick to Memphis to get Jonas Valanciunas and to dump Steven Adams' contract. They've just made so many bad moves over the past few years. And by the way, hired Stan Van Gundy to be their head coach when Stan Van Gundy thought they were going to compete. And then three weeks later, immediately traded drew holiday to the bucks and that was the beginning of like the downfall because that's not what stan van gundy okay. thought he was yeah,
2: signing up. That, that's probably the one move that i look at i'm like okay if i'm building around zion i would have kept a guy like drew holiday obviously the bucks they had to make a move so they they forced their hands to go and get a guy like drew holiday they offered them the deal that they thought would have worked out for him and it hasn't drew holiday would have been a great player to pair with zion if they still were in his position to get cj mccollum then suddenly you're talking about that core i'm okay with that core that core can win some games that core can be a little bit frisky in the western conference as the western conference continues to decline that's another thing zion and the pelicans started to stay healthy consistently continue to build the western conference is starting to open up a little more and more and more that this could be potentially their conference to run if you went to the east (sighs) you go to the east and then suddenly you know you're you're in a loaded conference the paradigm has completely shifted the east is now the strongest conference in the NBA Um, Zion It's it's similar to how I think about the quarterbacks situation the AFC and NFC In the NFC, obviously the quarterbacks are pretty scarce. You mentioned Matthew Stafford, Dak, um, and then it starts to become that Kirk Cousins territory. That's how I feel about the Western Conference now. Um, Once you get past like the top guys, the Phoenix Suns, okay, Utah's fine. But as Zion
0: starts to enter his prime, I think that's going to shift only because all of the young generational talents are in the Western Conference. Okay,
2: yes. And that's kind of He could be as good as Luka, and he certainly could be as good as Nikola.
0: Oh, I was going with Jaw. I was going him and and Jaw.
2: Yeah. And while that's going to be the, again, is just going to be constantly compared to Jaw. And the fact that Jaw has just embraced. Memphis has really become a part of Memphis culture and really been the instrumental piece in the Grizzlies turnaround. When I think about the Grizzlies two years ago, when Ja first got there, I was like, okay, it's Memphis. Now I'm looking Mm -hmm. at Memphis and they are the second best team in the West, man. I'm sorry, but the Warriors have really come back down to earth and the Grizzlies, you look at what they've done without Ja in their lineup. And I don't think that that's indicative of them being better without Ja. I just think that it's impressive how much depth is on that team that they could be 20-2 and without their superstar in their lineup. And then when they get their superstar in their lineup, Memphis could really take off this postseason. The only wall that I really see them is, I think they're a poor matchup against Phoenix, and that's fine because they would be a year ahead of schedule. If you go back to our conversation a couple weeks ago, our uh, Memphis expert even said that they were two years ahead of schedule. But that's another thing. John's success has been detrimental
0: in how Zion is perceived. But So the part that I would go to there is, is that too short-sighted? on our part, because I'll point out two examples. It might be,
2: it might be, but if yeah. it ends up being Kevin Durant and Greg Oden, and I don't wish that on Zion, but it's a non-zero chance that that ends up being his career arc.
0: So two examples I'll point to. The best one that I can compare Zion Williamson to is Joel Embiid. And there will be some people who say if Zion only becomes Joel Embiid, his career will be a disappointment. And to that I say, you set the bar way too high for that 17-year-old if you're saying if he only becomes Joel Embiid, his career will be disappointing. Pointing. But Joel Embiid played 39 games in three years, and everyone was making the same arguments. And the Sixers gave him the max contract, and you know, lo and behold, Joel Embiid's physical gifts took over once health kicked in. And- little,
2: little pushback here, little pushback because Joel, yes, he was dealing with injuries, but I think the weight gain is another thing that has been what people have been critical on on Zion is can he commit.
0: This is the it, difficult part too. Is like I don't like, know what's true and what's not there. There's been so many different things thrown around about it that I just if, don't know what's true and what's not about Zion's weight. he continues
2: weight to push over 300 pounds, continues to push over 350 pounds, and that just becomes hard. That just becomes hard. But, but, to but we run haven't on the seen court, him on a scale cardio. though. This is
0: speculation. I've also heard people say he's in great basketball shape. But, like but it's we've impossible. also seen
2: pictures too, and like we can tell that there's a notable difference between when he first stepped into the NBA and where he is now. Now that his health isn't in the best of shape and that could also be because of the injury he's not able to do as much cardio and he started to put on a little bit of weight because of that it's not all just new orleans cooking folks it it could just be a little bit of the injury and having to stay off that foot certainly you're not going to be doing suicides in the gym if you know you're dealing with a metacarpal injury like he has been dealing with but that's part of the story you know i should throw this in here too it's not just his stepdad's podcast appearance that has people talking about Zion returning. He also released his own video, him making this fantastic, spectacular Zion Williamson-type dunk in the gym, and that got people talking. And then there's been reports of him doing one-on-one and three-on-three and five-on-five. Now, this isn't necessarily him doing five-on-five with the Pelicans, but apparently he might be doing five-on-five at the rec center, against just some average joes like you and me is that good enough for him to be in
0: nba shape i don't know or maybe former college basketball players possibly but at the same time not nba caliber talent the thing that is interesting is like we, we've we kind of delayed this topic for a couple weeks too like we've tried to find a place to squeeze it in there just hasn't been a lot of information about what zion williamson wants and so to fill in the gaps there's been a lot of speculation in between and looking for breadcrumbs that get dropped in and like all we know is is that he's not happy with David Griffin and that he was living in Portland for four months while he was rehabbing from his injury, and no one knew when he was going to come back and when he wasn't. And I don't know how supportive or not supportive the Pelicans franchise has been. I was going to bring up the second point after Joel Embiid, which was Kawhi Leonard, where Kawhi Leonard was kind of in this purgatory of we don't know when he's going to be back from injury, and the Spurs' failure to support him as an organization alienated him and pushed him out the door. So maybe some of that's happening behind the scenes, and we don't don't know about it. Or maybe the Pelicans have been supportive to Zion Williamson through the process. I don't know. I don't know whether Zion wants their support or not. Clearly, like there's obviously some animus there, whether it's CJ McCollum saying he never talked to Zion after first going to the team or, you know, the report that he just doesn't like David Griffin. That's like all I can point to of like, actually, Zion is unhappy with the Pelicans and people wanting to make him go to the Knicks.
2: You talk about us delaying this, how we completely missed JJ Riddick, even saying he was a hands-off teammate that would be curious to see was he a hands-off teammate at Duke is that just part of his basketball character because I could understand that I could kind of relate to that like I'm not close with every single one of my co-workers but I understand it's a different culture too in the NBA guy gets traded to the team big free agent move usually you shoot them attacks especially if you're perceived as the star of that team
0: but people are also using these to make a broader point like when we insinuate that Zion isn't happy with the Pelicans or we insinuate that Zion Williamson doesn't go to a certain team it's a step it's like two steps short of saying Zion Williamson is selfish Zion Williamson is greedy and Zion Williamson is everything wrong with basketball like that's the step people are trying to make when they begin to character smear Zion Williamson and I just don't know where Zion Williamson's at like if he's not invested in the Pelicans like yeah it's really hard to invest when you don't want to be in a place and when you're unhappy with the circumstances that you're presented and you know you don't like your boss and and your boss makes terrible moves and everyone can see your boss makes terrible moves. And it's difficult to invest in that way. If he's not there, I'm not even like if Zion doesn't want to be with the Pelicans and Zion didn't talk to teammates or Zion Williamson is it is going to turn down money to leave New Orleans this offseason. I'm not even passing judgment on that one. If Z- this whole season was Zion Williamson was unhealthy to play for part of the season and then decided to shut it down for the entire year. I'm not even mad at Zion if he wanted to do that because Zion Williamson is not going to throw away a $250 million investment because he likes eating Doritos. Like I think that's people trying to make it too simplistic and in, in putting Zion Williamson into he's a fat greedy slob who wants to leave New Orleans, which is the place that some people are going to take this and use all the evidence that we've laid out as like, this is reason why he wants to leave the Pelicans. And this is everything wrong with the, the I feel terrible for the city of New Orleans in that way. And I just don't know anything about Zion Williamson. I, I've i heard so little breadcrumbs that everything else feels like it's just filling in the boxes of when we don't have any in, in the modern NBA where, you know, there's more news reporters than there is news to report. We just don't know anything really about Zion Williamson. And when we're left to pick up the breadcrumbs and guess, some people come to definitive conclusions without a lot of information. Where we can start to make definitive conclusions is this offseason because of that supermax availability zion doesn't sign the supermax this offseason we know that it's a long play to get out of new orleans something is going to come to a head this offseason the same way it did for luca back in 2019 where people were like luca wants to stay but he's unhappy with the state of the organization and the next thing you know within seven days of each other general manager of 17 years fired head coach of 17 years gone Lucas Doncic, Supermax Extension. Something like that is going to happen in New Orleans this offseason. We just have to wait five months and for them to lose in the play in game to get to that place where we'll get more information. New sponsor alert it's the good people over at creditkarma.com. Sponsoring the Take It Easy podcast, Credit Karma can help you look for a low-interest personal loan that could help you save money while you pay off a purchase or pay down old credit card debt. Credit Karma compares loan offers for free, and it will not affect your credit score to use creditkarma.com. If you're ready to apply, you can use the link in the description to this episode or head to creditkarma.com slash loanoffers to see your personalized offers. Again, that's creditkarma.com slash loanoffers to find the loan for you. Creditkarma.com slash loanoffers. Credit Karma. Apply with more confidence today.
1: Garoppolo drops back to throw, you're gonna lose the game. The seasons come, and seasons go, the Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up, yeah he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it, interceptions drive us all insane, phones are calling, Ron Rivera wants to make a trade, if a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up, they got your quarterback. They say he's smart and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding talent's what you lack, trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback.
0: I know this isn't a true memes of the weekend podcast here this week, because we got Rob Parker on the show, and I wanted to seriously talk about Zion Williamson, and NBA season came to an end, and now the NBA actually has stakes, but I did promise that every single week on these Monday podcasts, which are traditionally memes of the weekend, that we would do a Jimmy Garoppolo update, because It is incredibly funny. In fact, I'd say it is the meme of the NFL offseason that Jimmy G is just in the most amazing purgatory of all time. I've started calling it Sam Bradford Purgatory because when I was in high school, I used to say if your team has Sam Bradford, you don't have a franchise quarterback. But if you do have Sam Bradford, then you're kind of just stuck in what I like to call Sam Bradford Purgatory, which then became Andy Dalton Purgatory, which just became quarterback purgatory. And I think now we're going to call Tier 4 the Jimmy Garoppolo Memorial quarterback purgatory Uh, so do we have an update on Jimmy Garoppolo not particularly but we do have an interesting story from NBC Sports San Francisco talking to league executives and one league executive said uh, just at this point I just hold on to him wait someone will get desperate I'd even keep him through the season why get rid of a guy just to get rid of him to play the other guy Trey Lance if you know Jimmy has value and Jimmy does have value and then he responds after that with I've got no issues with what we did this is an unnamed NFL executive because it's better than drafting one of these guys and it's better than waiting on Garoppolo because if this is this is the line that I think sums this up very very well if you are waiting on Garoppolo, it's not like you're waiting on Drew Brees and his torn labrum. You're waiting on Garoppolo, who is happy to throw it less than twenty times in big games, which is damn of which is a, a damning indictment of Jimmy Garoppolo at this point. Which is someone's going to be desperate eventually, but. Let's wait until the game manager is healthy before we go out trading for the game manager because everyone else could already find their game manager. For Washington, it was $28 million of Carson Wentz. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, it was Mitchell Trubisky for slightly less. For the Falcons, it was Marcus Mariota. They are telling you that they value those guys at whatever the prices were more than Jimmy Garoppolo. For the Colts, it was Matt Ryan at whatever the number is they're paying Matt Ryan. I'm not actually sure how much the Colts are paying Matt Ryan next year, but whatever number they're paying Matt Ryan, the Colts are paying that instead of $24 million to Jimmy Garoppolo. And Also, this executive brings up an interesting push-comes-to-shove situation because there is an interesting... Give and take the 49ers and Garoppolo had that I hadn't considered. So Jimmy G is sitting at 24 million dollars, but zero of it is guaranteed. The 49ers could cut him whenever they want. They owe him no guaranteed dollars. The question. This is what the executive told the athletic. Or sorry, another executive told the athletic. Quote: The question for the 49ers is, would you pay Jimmy a bunch now and try to make him more palatable? If you're Jimmy and the money is unguaranteed, how much would you take from the 49ers, fully guaranteed, knowing that you may get stuck there and they can control your destination? Both sides have a risk. Let's play this out in our heads real quick here. If Jimmy Garoppolo is only making $10 million, which is, I'm going to guess, about the equivalent of what, say, I don't know... Um, Matt Ryan, by the way, Matt Ryan's uh, guaranteed cap number is $18 million. So if Matt Ryan's cap number is $18 million, let's say, and Marcus Mariota, I assume, is probably, well, who knows? Marcus Mariota was 10 as a backup quarterback. But let's see what Marcus Mariota's contract looks like with the Falcons. So Marcus Mariota is looking at six million dollars fully guaranteed from the Falcons his cap number next year will be four million and then the Falcons can get out of it with 2.5 million in cap so if he's somewhere between Marcus Mariota which we know Jimmy Garoppolo is slightly better than Marcus Mariota or at least we think and Jimmy Garoppolo is not worth 24 million dollars What's the number that team is willing to take Jimmy Garoppolo to either be their high-end backup or their low-end starter? And this might be a team that, again, loses their quarterback or doesn't get a quarterback in the draft or something like that. Remember two years ago when Jameis Winston and Cam Newton didn't get picked up for like the entire offseason, and then after the draft, the Patriots signed Cam, and then the Saints signed Jameis Winston as a backup? Kind of that situation, but... How much money would the 49ers have to eat in order to trade Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, use cap space as an incentive. So, like, if they gave Jimmy $10 million fully guaranteed, and then the last $14 million would be paid by whatever team Jimmy gets traded to and then paid out week to week, would the 49ers be willing to do that if it meant getting good value for Jimmy Garoppolo? which I don't know what good value is. Is that a second round pick? Is it a a solid player? Is it a multiple day two picks? Is it a day two pick and a day three pick? Who knows what you could get for Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's the reason the 49ers are keeping him right now. The money they're saving by getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get paid to Debo Samuel, or maybe not Debo Samuel, because all of his photos on Instagram have been scrubbed, which suggests contract negotiations aren't going well. The money they're saving is going to be paid down the road to Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and Trent Williams and all those people that the 49ers drafted in a you know, four-year span that you could argue could give John Lynch Hall of Fame considerations because of how well they drafted in that short span. Who knows what they're going to end up doing with the money, but we know that they're balancing cap space as a resource and draft picks they get for trading Jimmy G., as a resource, it's a fun little balance that they have going on right now. And we're still in Jimmy Garoppolo Purgatory now in week four of our Garoppolo updates, which we will continue to update every single Monday until Jimmy Garoppolo gets traded out of Jimmy Garoppolo Purgatory. Last, but certainly not least, here on the Take It Easy podcast, aka Memes of the Weekend, or whatever we want to call this, let's talk. A little bit of baseball because baseball opening weekend did come in we talked a little bit earlier with rob parker of course but this is more of a laughable baseball thing than it is anything else here and uh that is the arizona diamondbacks The Arizona Diamondbacks opened the Major League Baseball season against my beloved San Diego Padres. And I know we didn't play the uh, Rob Stone Padres rap anthem, which is now close to a year old because the Joe Musgrove no-hitter is a year old, and that's what prompted our buddy Rob Stone to make that rap anthem. Shout out 619 San Diego. Um, So... The Padres played Arizona to start off the season, and the Padres, again, are I, I said going into this season, just get me into the playoffs. It's not the, we can win the World Series team of 2020, or we have catastrophically high expectations in 2021, or the, we finished with a worse record than the Baltimore Orioles after August 11th, San Diego Padres. I'm just saying, get us into the playoffs, see what we can do. We're above average. We're spending a bunch of money. Let's just see what we can do with it. And the Padres being good usually means the Arizona Diamondbacks are really bad. Or the Colorado Rockies are really bad. But here's the thing. The San Diego Padres have never been good my entire lifetime. So the San Diego Padres from 2006 to 2020 never made a playoff and only had one season with an above 500 record. And part of the reason that exists is one, for years the Padres were regarded as a small market team even though they played in the 8th largest city in America. The Padres had an owner that didn't spend a ton of money in Ron Fowler. And then the Padres got new owners in the Seitlers, or Peter Seidler, I think he's unmarried, but Peter Seidler bought the Padres and Peter Seidler now spends a whole bunch of money to make the Padres a competitive team. By the way, in a division that for the last decade had the Dodgers who spend like way more than anyone else in the sport. The Dodgers basically play with like $80 million more than everyone else in baseball. Because baseball does regional television contracts and doesn't have a true salary cap. And the Dodgers just keep pouring money into the team instead of trying to keep it as profits. And the Giants, who until the Astros of the last five years had the greatest run of the 21st century by winning three championships in five years. And some will argue that winning the three championships makes them better than the Astros. But they kind of went up and down and up and down. But anyways, Giants, really good. Dodgers, really good. They've been really good my entire life, except for from 2016 to 2020 when the Giants were bad. And who was good during that run? The Diamondbacks. And who was good during that run? The Rockies, both of whom made... Well, no, the Diamondbacks made one playoff appearance in 2017, and the Rockies made two playoff appearances, one in 2018 and one in 2017 when they lost to the Diamondbacks in the wildcard game. So anyways, now the Dodgers are still really good. The Dodgers are always going to be really good. And for years, it was the Dodgers made the playoffs every year. The Padres missed the playoffs every year. And that works when you're playing teams in the same division. For example, when we talk about the Baltimore Orioles in baseball, because division teams play each other so much, Baltimore is terrible while everyone else is good in the division. It's really almost impossible for Baltimore to climb out of that hole because Baltimore plays their divisional opponents 72 out of 162 games, which, if you want to do quick math, comes out to roughly 46%. 46% 46% of all of your baseball games are against divisional opponents. So if you play in a division with the Dodgers, you're probably going to be bad for a long period of time, or at the very least, you're fighting for second place every year. And Arizona is one of those franchises that moves in the cycles behind the Giants and the Rockies and the Padres. For example, Giants bad, Diamondbacks made the wild card. Padres good, Diamondbacks, bad. D-backs, good. Giants are usually bad, or Rockies, usually bad. And now, I'm looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks for the past, like, three years, and I'm saying, oh, you guys are us. I, I recognize that team. That's my childhood. That's my Padres. That's the Padres of my childhood with Seth Smith as the three-hitter or Ryan Ludwig as a, as a cleanup hitter for years or Chase Headley being our three-hitter before he was traded for young Hervis Solarte and Kevin Kuzmanoff and Everett Cabrera and names that nobody remembers unless you're a diehard baseball fan. And if you are a diehard baseball fan, I hope those names made you smile as much as they made me smile. And so... I look at the Diamondbacks now. I'm like, oh, you, that's that's the team I rooted for in childhood. And what that means is the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be bad for 15 years. Maybe have one above 500 season if the Padres blow up. But if the Giants are going to be big market spenders, and now the Padres are going to be big market spenders, and the Dodgers are always going to win the division every single year because the Dodgers have a hundred million dollars and smarter people than everyone else in the sport, Arizona, you're going to be a bottom feeder for years and years and years and years and years. And by the way, they're already headed towards that path because this is year three of Arizona's rebuild. They finished dead last in 2020, dead last in 2021 with 110 losses, and they can already be penciled in for fifth place in 2022 and the reason was the first game of the entire season against the San Diego Padres they got no hit through six innings now did they win the game yes but that had more to do with the Padres not having a good bullpen than it did to do with Arizona coming back that's just the Padres are going to let you down sometimes they got no hit the first six innings of the entire season by you Darvish And then they came out on Friday, and they got no hit in the first seven innings of the game on Friday. The first two games of the season, they did not record a hit in the first six innings of either game, and got no hit into the seventh by Sean Manaya, who was also acquired because Oakland is just stripping their entire roster down. By the way, Oakland's traded like 17 of the players who were on the team last year. It's kind of crazy. But anyways, Padres, kick an ass, and the Padres aren't that remarkable. Arizona, you're going to be bad for so long. And so I don't necessarily have animosity for you the way I, growing up, had animosity for the Giants or the Dodgers. Simply because Arizona, you just don't matter. You had Paul Goldschmidt, who I will say. Paul Goldschmidt one of the most underrated baseball players that has existed here in the 2010s. Like that dude is amazing at baseball and you're scared of him every time he comes to the plate. And by the way, Arizona had a fun season in 2019 where they, you know, they just got done playing the wild card and they missed the playoffs the next year. They traded Paul Goldschmidt to St. Louis proceeded to win 85 games and because they won 85 games after trading Paul Goldschmidt, gave Madison Bumgarner $125 million on a five-year contract. When, by the way, two years prior, they gave Zach Granke a $250 million contract. I don't think it was that much, actually. I think it was only a five- or six-year deal. But they gave Granke $180 or so million. dollars, And for $180 million, And like six years of Granke. They traded Granke in the middle of the 2019 season. They traded Paul Goldschmidt. They traded Zach Granke, they won 85 games, and they decided at the beginning of free agency, let's go get a lockdown number one starter into his 30s, coming off of multiple motorcycle injuries, and he's throwing the ball 7 miles per hour less than he did when he won World Series MVP. Let's get Madison Bumgarner. And the first game of 2020, Madison Bumgarner got hit for like 8 runs by the Padres, and the Diamondbacks have been goddamn garbage Ever since. But by the way, that's what they were doing when they traded Goldschmidt and Granke. The the year they won 85 games in 2019 was just a weird fluke. And they knew it too. They just decided we're going to rebuild and pay Madison Bumgarner $25 million a year. And by the way, I know everyone complains about competitive balance numbers and like reaching a salary floor in building your baseball team. Giving Madison Bumgarner $25 million a year is not the way to fix the salary floor problem in baseball. The solution is to pay all of those mid-level guys more than $500,000 a year. The Diamondbacks aren't a team that we lump in in the tanking mix because the Arizona Diamondbacks don't have the lowest payroll in baseball. That's just because their dumbasses gave Madison Bumgarner $25 million a year for For a five-year rebuild. And the Arizona Diamondbacks still have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. Because you know who the second highest paid player on the Diamondbacks is? Cattell Marte. How much does he make? $8 million. David Peralta, $8 million. They have only three players on their team. Technically four. They have four players on their team making more than five million dollars per season the Arizona Diamondbacks are dumping and they are going to be bad for a really 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 long time not because they're you know they're obviously trying to go through the tanking process of the draft but you're trying to fight with the Padres and the Giants and the Diamondbacks five years from now, and maybe it'll work in cycles, the more likely scenario is, I would like to welcome the Arizona Diamondbacks to a decade of mediocrity. And we don't say that very often. I'd like to welcome the New York Giants, as always, to another decade of mediocrity. And I would like to welcome the Chicago Bears to a decade of mediocrity and we might be getting close to welcoming the Panthers to a decade of mediocrity and the Sacramento Kings, we don't do it very often. I would like to officially welcome the Arizona Diamondbacks into a decade of mediocrity because I look at that team and I say, you guys are the old Padres. Now, maybe they'll spend money. They, They spend money in weird ways all the time. Maybe they'll spend money. Either way, it will get them to mediocrity. And it will be 10 years before the Arizona Diamondbacks see the playoffs again, just as it was when my San Diego Padres were essentially a minor league baseball team that happened to be getting major league television revenue and teaching me as a child that your team doesn't make the playoffs. None of your teams make the playoffs. I also rooted for the Lakers as a child, and the Lakers were terrible in the 2010s. Let's just root for minor league teams that happen to be wearing major league uniforms. And that's where the Diamondbacks are now. Year three of a 10-year rebuild for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Getting no hit to start the first and second games of a meaningless 2022 season. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday. You can get wired up. On Sundays, every now and then. Wired up's kind of slowed down right now because there isn't really much to cover. Uh, I didn't really want to talk about the Masters. Congratulations, Scotty Scheffler. I think you're going to win the Masters at the time of recording. By the way, Padres, 6 0 in the third inning on the Arizona Diamondbacks to close out the series. That team is ass. The Padres are okay. The Diamondbacks, terrible. Decade of mediocrity, 10 year rebuild. Thanks for stopping in, everybody, and as always, rate, review, subscribe, download, and take it easy.